declassify verb meaning to officially declare information or documents to be no longer secret. In the art world, there's always more than what meets the eye. I'm Parker. And I'm Georgia. And this is Declassified. We're your hosts, here to uncover stories, truths, and other clues to solve the mystery of success in this complex industry. Access lies at the heart of our mission. We amplify as many voices as we can. Featuring artists, collectors, curators, advisors, historians, and entrepreneurs, listening as they tell us what it's like to walk in their shoes. Today, Declassified, we have the incredible Naima Keefe with us. Naima, you can't hear them, but they're giving you a warm, fabulous welcome. We are so grateful you're here with us today to lend some of your wisdom about the world of curation and museum education. Naima is a powerhouse who currently works as Vice President of Education and Public Programs at LACMA, or the LA County Museum of Art. Before LACMA, Naima worked as Deputy Director and Chief Curator at the California African American Museum in LA and received the David C. Driscoll Prize in 2017 for her contributions to the field of African American art history. Naima also worked for several years as a curator at the Studio Museum in Harlem and the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles. Naima has written extensively for publications like Artform, Art News, and published a book in 2014 with the Studio Museum in Harlem about the renowned post-minimalist artist Charles Gaines. She has also worked as co-artistic director for this year's installment of Prospect New Orleans, the fifth edition of the Triennial, celebrating New Orleans' rich art scene and contributing artists all over the world. She received her BA at Spelman College and her master's at UCLA, both in art history. Wow, and after reminding myself of all your accomplishments, Naima, I'm even more thrilled you're here to teach us your ways. So thank you and welcome. We know you just came off a whirlwind few weeks um, with Prospect 5. How are you doing after all the craziness? Hopefully getting a little rest. <laughs> well, first, thank <laughs> you, Georgia and Parker, for inviting me to be on Declassified. I, I love the the concept of this podcast, this idea of, you know, providing insight and, you know, um, background into not just kind of how someone got to a particular place, but also the art world generally. Um, there are so many aspects of what happens um, in the art world that just people have no clue about. And it's, it's great that you're providing this platform um, to, to hear directly from people working in, in the industry. So just kudos to you two for, for kicking this Thank off. You. Thank you. Um, but yes, uh, you know, I, I landed uh, last night, my, my head hit the pillow at around midnight. Um, <laughs> and from, from New Orleans, uh, where I was uh, celebrating the end of Prospect 5, um, an exhibition that opened in October. Um, and is the, like I said, fifth iteration of Prospect New Orleans, uh, which was an ex- exhibition started after Hurricane Katrina to really kind of celebrate and, and galvanize and um, support uh, the arts community in the city. Uh, so thrilled to be able to participate in that show, um, but I am a little tired, I'm not going to lie. Mm. Well, you were doing great work. So, and again, we're just so grateful that you're here, especially on your first day back in LA. So thank you so much. Um, our, our big question for you today is how can art educate? And, um, you know, this can be answered in many ways. I'm sure you've already had that thought. But why don't we start with, you know, the fact that most major museums have education departments and you head up the one at LACMA. Um, and in 2020, you wrote an article for Art News about their importance. So can you tell us a little bit sort of about what they do and why museums have education departments? It's funny, you know, um, number one, that's a great question. Um, It's a question I actually very rarely uh, talk about just because it's kind of assumed um, that, you know, museums have uh, these various types of departments. 
Um, so just, again, great question to start with. I think while the department is called education, um, I really do, I would like to believe that what we do um, is really inspire. Um, because I think educate kind of assumes that you're coming to the subject knowing nothing, right? Like it's to educate um, usually means that like there's, there's a power dynamic right there, right? So the idea that one person knows nothing and another person knows everything or something or whatever top the topic is, and that person is is sharing this, you know, exactly what you're supposed to understand about that particular topic. Um, so while, you know, we think about it in relation to education, I know obviously that the title of my department is Education and Public Programs. I would like to think that what we do um, or what we, what we work to do is really inspire uh, those that come to the museum space um, to uh, think about how the, how the artwork on the wall connects their everyday lives. Um, if it doesn't connect to them in their everyday lives, that it maybe can give them insight into, you know, the artist's perspective or some other way of life or uh, a way of working. If you're looking at something, you know, an ancient object or if you're looking at something made a long time ago or a number of years ago, um, that you can, you know, gain some better understanding of, of, you know, of a certain perspective. Um, so I think that while the curator's role is to, you know, make the show, right, to, to really, you know, pull the artist together, to uh, do that under a particular theme or idea, what I think um, we're tasked with doing is really connecting with audiences, um, inspiring audiences, um, allowing them maybe to see the work um, beyond what, I don't want to say beyond, but maybe in addition to what the curator intended. Um, and really think about that from various points of view, right? So when a curator is making a show, they don't necessarily, they're not always necessarily, it depends on obviously the show, but they're not necessarily thinking about the, the five-year-old or the 15-year-old the or the grandmother. And our job is to connect with all of those different audiences. Um, their job, you know, as a curator is to think about how do I, you know, put on an exhibition that honors the work um, that really, again, kind of communicates certain themes or ideas. And then our job is like, how do we take that one step further to connect with a three-year-old uh, or a five-year-old or a 10-year-old? Um, and, and what ways can we do that? So I think that the, you know, the education department or the um, engagement, and a lot of museums are kind of changing the names of departments to be um, engagement and learning. Um, but I think the goal, again, is to think about, you know, how can the work on view really... Um, like I said, inspire or uh, provoke or challenge um, visitors in, in so many different ways. No, I love that. I think that you should become LACMA's VP of inspiration. I feel like that could be a powerful mm -hmm. title <laughs> moving <be> forward. <laughs> but I think everyone probably listening has that like aha moment where they were inspired looking at a piece of art to really see themselves either like in the work or find a sense of belonging within the museum. And speaking about these revelatory moments, could you share with us um, maybe a time where you or someone else had a light bulb moment in front of a piece of art? Um, I think George and I kind of, I see that as one of the best feelings ever, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and maybe a, a story. Ooh, uh, let's see. Um, it's So I'll say it from a perspective of me as a, you know, as a curator, as, as now in education, um, but I'll also speak to it as a sense of a, as a from a mother's perspective because mm -hmm. um, I do have two young kids uh, who I drag to museums because they see it as, as mom. <laughs> um, but 
you know, for me, for example, I just came from New Orleans. Um, I was working on Prospect 5. Uh, one of the major projects we unveiled this weekend was by Simone Lee, a New York-based artist who will be representing um, the U.S. at the Venice Biennale um, hmm. in May. But for Prospect, uh, she produced a sculpture um, called Sentinel Mamiwata, and it's it now stands um, at the base of um, where the Robert E. Lee Monument used to be. Um, so the Robert E. Lee Monument was in Lee Circle, um, in essentially the middle of New Orleans, and uh, the, sculpt, the, the sculpture or the monument was taken down in 2017, amongst many other, um, or several, I don't want to say many, but several other monuments that same year. And nothing had been, nothing has gone up um, since 2017. And, you know, Simone came to us with the idea to do a sculpture in this space. And um, we were both like, you know, blown away and excited, but also overwhelmed and intimidated, right? Because, you know, obviously, you know, monuments and, and those spaces are, are highly contested and people feel very passionate about them. But, you know, seeing the sculpture unveiled this weekend and seeing, you know, this kind of this black female figure, you know, at the center of the city that is predominantly black um, and just seeing the excitement and the resonance um, that it had for so many residents, I think was was really inspiring. I mean, to kind of think about, you know, a different type of figure or a different type of representation um, for the city. I mean, it was just mind blowing. Um, but I'm fortunate enough, honestly, to have those kind of inspiring moments not to that magnitude all the time, but mm -hmm. because I'm I'm in constant dialogue with artists and seeing a lot of artwork, I'm I'm I feel very fortunate um, to be inspired and, and and to be challenged all the time. Um, and then you know whether or not it's from my kids or even the school groups that we see coming into the museum every day. Um, you know we had the Obama portraits at the museum recently uh, at LACMA recently. And to see, you know, the kids just staring, you know, at the portraits of, of Barack and Michelle, um, it, it never got old, right? Because they literally, they either saw themselves um, in that work or um, they were just blown away by the color, the vibrancy, the, um, the, the way in which they connect to it. I mean, they were literally being so excited to kind of point out different flowers or different colors, or I have a dress that looks like that, or, mm. um, so I don't know, the, watching those kinds of moments um, of inspiration and, and kids saying like, I could make a drawing like that too. And and we say, exactly. Like we never, mm -hmm. education, we never say, oh no, you can't. You know, like we always say, yes, you can. You know, we always try and push them towards um, not just seeing themselves, but also, you know, being inspired, like I said, to, to make this, to, to make something of their own. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the great things about being education is, is literally walking through the galleries and seeing, you know, hundreds of little kids ooing and eyeing at something that they recognize yeah. and something that they want to also do at home. So that's really yeah. cool. That's phenomenal. I mean, I think George and I are both smiling for everyone listening. Just, I think hearing that description about walking through on a day-to-day -day basis throughout your job and just seeing the difference in that, that inspiration effect you have on young people's lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I, I have also experienced, um, I like lead tours at the museums at Stanford and have also led some tours with really young kids with work, you know, that's abstract and not necessarily the easiest to connect to as a really young person. But sometimes when, um, I don't know, either seeing something of yourself in a piece of work on a wall, I think that's like something that I'm 
most passionate about um, working in this space because I think it can really be transformative, but also just like the sense of joy that that art can bring um, even to people who don't really understand exactly the content of the work. It's just so lovely. And I'm jealous that you get to see that every day. That's just so amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, not lost on me. Yeah. Well, so our next question is how, like, what about art makes it such a good educational tool or inspirational tool? And I think you've sort of touched on that by what you just said. But I think um, it's interesting to sort of talk through some of the reasons why art can be so helpful to starting dialogue and forging connection between people, especially different um, people who come from different backgrounds or experiences. Well, one of the reasons why, you know, I love art and I connected with it um, was because there's no right answer. Right. So I think um, we can certainly share, you know, the artist's intention. We can certainly share um, the, you know, the way in which, you know, the artist produced the work. We can certainly give maybe background on, um, you know, a bit of the context, you know, in which that work was made in terms of time period or, you know, those kinds of things. But ultimately, um, it's such a great teaching tool because there's no right answer, right? Because there's that you can really kind of approach so many, you know, different works of art in so many different ways. So you could say, okay, this was made during World War II and this is what was going on historically. And so the work reflects these types of colors or includes these types of things because it was in this time period. Um, but also the artist was, you know, rejecting X, Y, and Z. So you can, you can come up from a historical perspective. You can, you know, really kind of think about it um, as a, again, some insight into maybe how, you know, people were feeling at a particular time. Um, but the idea that it allows, uh, that art allows one to, or you to start a dialogue and to be prompted um, to think about a topic, but the fact that all opinions are okay, um, I think is what makes it kind of the great, the great I don't want to say equalizer, but makes it a, a great teaching tool because you're not kind of going into it looking for a particular answer and you're not shaming people for not, arriving at a particular place, right? That everyone is kind mm. of invited based on whatever walk of life they're coming from to lend their opinion and they're not wrong. It's it's more of um, this is what I see and, and it, I think it, it's a just allowing us to understand people um, and, and maybe mm. how they see life um, in, in many different ways. But I, I like the fact, I love the fact actually that there's kind of no right answer, but it really mm -hmm. can kind of spark dialogue and spark one to kind of think about like, well, if you were making this work in, you know, if you were making a photograph about homelessness, you know, in 2022, you know, well, how would you have done it differently? Or what's your, you know, perspective on homelessness? Like this particular artist decided to capture, you know, this mother and child, but, you know, how would you have done it differently? And, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, uh and also, like I said, it can also enlighten people to, you know, um, maybe, w w you know, ways of life or just a, a, to, to circumstances that they had no idea about. You know, I think about someone like James Vanderzee or uh, Gordon Parks or, you know, others where they're, you know, giving with Gordon Parks, for example, you know, being commissioned by Life magazine to, you know, photograph um, people at different, you know, in different walks of life. It, it really did kind of shine a light on on aspects of the human existence that people had no idea about. Um, mm -hmm. And so there was, a, there was a humanizing, there was a beauty in his photographs that I think both, you know, 
made people aware of some of the conditions that people were living in, but also I think the, the beauty and the uh, dignity that a lot of people had despite their you know financial circumstances. So just to say that I think it's a great teaching tool in both in terms of there's no right answer and that people can feel very comfortable um, you know, contributing their perspectives, but at the same time, um, it's, it's again, it's a prompt right, to, to get people mm-hmm. to think deep, more deeply about um, maybe preconceived notions they had about a particular thought or idea. No, I, I love that. I think it, you use the word equalizer and uh, just, I think, welcoming everybody into a space um, with no right answer is important, especially when art can sometimes feel super inaccessible to a lot of people, including George and I, who are in our fourth year of studying art history. It <laughs> can sometimes just be like, what am I looking at? What am I reading? What am I learning? Uh, but thinking about kind of the strategies uh, you use to facilitate this kind of education through art as both a curator and a museum education and inspiration leader, how do you uh, how do these two kind of approaches differ uh, between the two roles that you have played throughout your career? So in terms of the two different in terms of like from curator to educator, like how do those roles yeah. differ? How do those roles differ when you're thinking about facilitating education through art? Uh, well, I think just piggybacking off of what I said a little bit earlier, just about, um, you know, as a curator, even thinking about prospect, for example, I am thinking about, you know, how to best as a, like I said, in my role as a curator, I'm thinking about how to best kind of honor the, the artwork, um, that the, the artist made both in terms of presentation, both in terms of, um, placing a dialogue with other, you know, with other artists or other works I'm thinking about. Um, you know, lighting and wall color, you know, all those types of aspects, you know, when I'm, I'm curating an exhibition and then, you know, wall label in the book and all that. And it's not that I'm not thinking about audience, but it's, it's just a different, you know, um, I'm thinking about audience in terms of, you know, are they able to make connections with the other works on view in that room? Are they able, does this, you know, work, um, exemplify or really stretch, you know, or really challenge people in, in, the, in terms of the theme that I'm trying to present. Um, so it really is around the show itself where, you know, in education, I'm thinking about, um, again, how do audiences engage with this work? Um, how can we, you know, if the show is about, um, not to bring in, you know, like homelessness, you know, in education, we're thinking, okay, how do we have you know, how do we bring in thought leaders, you know, in this area to really talk about the crisis here in Los Angeles? How do we think about, you know, uh, the history of homelessness as it relates to urban centers? You know, like you're thinking about it beyond the the scope of the exhibition. So that those points may not be touched in the exhibition, but we are excited to explore them in education, like really kind of stretch beyond maybe the, the parameters of the show. Um, so it's not only thinking about audiences from several different viewpoints, but also, um, how do we both, you know, take the themes and, and maybe connect with people in their everyday life um, to help them, you know, understand maybe the show in a different way where a, a curator is maybe not thinking about that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think especially for you, since you have um, experience with curation and education, it's probably very helpful to be able to see that from a perspective of, you know, honoring the artist and giving the piece um, the right kind of recognition or 
appreciation that it deserves and then also being able to connect with audiences because it sort of needs to happen simultaneously and I assume that you probably when you're when you're working through edu- working on education you have to speak you know with the curator about how are they hoping that this work is perceived and what is the artist hoping to get out of you know showing his his or her work at a museum um and so I, I think that's all just like really enlightening um and talking about sort of your shift from curation to programs, I guess you sort of do both now, as we've seen, you are working on Prospect 5 and at LACMA. Um, but what sort of inspired you to take on this more educational role at LACMA? And then what did your path sort of look like before that? So in terms of um, my move to education, um, it, it wasn't necessarily planned all along. I didn't kind of go into my career necessarily knowing that I, I wanted to go into education. Um, but I have always had a deep respect um, for educators, even when I was a you know much younger curator and just kind of starting out, I was always um, amazed and, and greatly benefited from as a kid going to museums myself, um, you know, whether or not it was workshops or, you know, participating in art classes or those kinds of things. So I've always had a kind of a very deep um, appreciation and respect for for education departments. And so, but when I um, was curating shows, I would always love to work alongside um, the education department when it came to my own shows um, to think about, you know, um, the types of programs that were, you know, organized or the speakers that were brought in um, really as a, just to be thought partners um, with the department and kind of offer any insight that I may have and organize the exhibition in terms of what, you know, could be available for public programs. And then, you know, when I went to the the, um, the California African American Museum in my role as deputy director, I oversaw both the um, the curatorial department and the education department. So it was, you know, I was kind of, you know, really thinking about audience and um, engagement and accessibility and, you know, all of these different things alongside um, the shows we were putting on view. And... I think it was, you know, from my commitment to accessibility and really trying to um, think about the models that that museums use to um, engage visitors and and what things are a little more outdated and what things, um, you know, can attract a more diverse audience. I think that really sparked um, Michael Govan, the director of LACMA, to come talk to me about coming over to LACMA and and really thinking about this this on a much larger scale. Um, And what would it mean to, you know, come over to education full time? Um, and that was so attractive to me because, um, you know, LACMA is my hometown museum, right? It is, it's, I'm from LA, born and raised and, you know, the education department pre-pandemic, uh, we served over 650,000 visitors uh, a year, families a year. And think about that kind of reach. I mean, think about that kind of impact, um, is mind blowing. And so the idea that, you know, I could play a very small role in, um, cause I have an amazing team and play a, you know, a small role in guiding, you know, how that many visitors, um, could connect to works on view. It, it, it was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Um, but also I think it was a, it was a moment, um, where, you know, Michael and I were just talking about how do you, um, how do you kind of provide a bridge, you know, between education and education? Um, not that they're, necessarily in opposition to one another, in one another, but they're oftentimes, or in, in, in some cases, they're silos where, you know, the education, you know, the curatorial department is like, okay, I organize a show. Thank you. Good night. And the education is like, okay, you know, I'm over here and I'm doing this other side. 
And how can there just be more communication and more dialogue? And so I think me being a curator myself and having conversations with curators about you know, the programs and how to support their show, I think they understand that I know exactly uh, what it is or, you know, where, where they are in their the process, um, what is, what they're doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's no, I have a deep respect obviously for curators as well. So I think it's kind of like being that bridge figure, um, has been really attractive, but yeah, no, I think that, um, it, it while it wasn't necessarily something I started out knowing I wanted to do, I think I've, I've always had, um, a very, uh, like I said, deep commitment to accessibility and really rethinking um, who feels comfortable in museum spaces and why don't they feel comfortable and uh, how could we metaphorically kind of open the door wider um, so that people who didn't grow up going to museums um, feel comfortable as adults coming in and kids also feel equal. You know, you're not your one chance is not just, you know, a school field trip, but that you kind of come over and over again because you see yourself in that space. Um, so that's really what I've I've you know, kind of devoted my, my career to. And I think education department is a perfect place to do that. No, it seems definitely like an exciting way, I think, to grow. And as you're now in this position as a middle person, bring different teams together and inviting new people into the museum, especially with such a reach that LACMA has, I'm sure it's beyond exciting um, to do what you do every single day. Uh, and speaking about your day-to-day activities, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about what your job really looks like on an average day. Uh, we could take for today, for example, or maybe sometime last week or next week. Uh, but we're curious to know who do you work with, who works under you. Um, I know you're very humble and you give praise to your team. We'd be curious to know who's on your team and how kind of the museum functions around you and you within the museum. Sure, great question. So um, no one day looks exactly alike, which is the, the good thing. Um, <laughs> Let's see, uh, you know, an average, I'll just say an average week um, involves, you know, checking in weekly, um, checking in with my direct reports. Um, so I'm the VP of Education and Public Programs. Um, directly underneath me, I have two assistant VPs, um, one that oversees family programming and school programming, and then another one that oversees um, adult public programs, music, um, and film. So we kind of kind of see it as like two different branches, even though we're all one big um, team, we kind of see it as like two different branches. So it's kind of like there's me and then there's, you know, there's kind of two people that report directly to me that oversee the two different branches of the department. And, um, you know, in that time we're, you know, discussing, you know, what are some of the bigger things that are happening in the department? What are some, what are things that are coming down um, the pike, you know, for us this last year, the last two years, um, around the transition to virtual has been a big um, leap for our department. Um, we we did not have a significant virtual presence before the pandemic. And so it completely kind of upended how we worked. We really did, you know, do much more hands-on work with um, students, teachers, and families. And so now we had to completely go digital. So how we worked, um, the amount we worked, I mean, it, it we did not slow down during the pandemic. Um, and now we're having conversations around what does it mean to be a hybrid department? Um, do we still, you know, sure, you know, privilege um, in-person, uh, you know, engagement, but how do we also um, maintain a presence online and, and kind of what does that look like? And budgetarily, like, how do we make that happen? Um, we're also talking about the morale of the team and how do we best support our team um, during these difficult times. I mean, you know, we're in another surge, you know, right now and, None of us thought we would be in this two years later. Um, so, you know, people get tired and they're burned out. And so how do we support the team um, 
you know, and encourage them to, to take mental health breaks. Um, we're also talking about, you know, the, the LACMA's in the middle of building a new building, um, which will be open in 2024. And so we're talking about how are we thinking through our programs for that. And then, you know, there's the, there's the, um, the production of the programs that we do every day. So whether or not it's, you know, lectures with scholars or, um, you know, or performance or, uh, you know, film screening. Um, it's, it's talking with the various colleagues in, in my department or, or, my, or my various colleagues about where they are in that process and then how I can best support moving that program forward. Um, and then also talking to other departments um, about what they're working on. I'm also talking to trustees about, um, you know, the work that we're doing at the department. And then, of course, my boss, uh, the director, keeping him up to date on what it is that we're doing, but also just priorities that we're setting for the future. So that's that's my week is what I do. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you have so many stakeholders and sort of people that you're able to influence and also um, people that really seem to be on your same um, uh, sort of in agreement with your same goal to increase accessibility and allow more people to you know enter the museum space and and feel comfortable there. Um, and you were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I am sort of wondering what kinds of opportunities you see for growth in our current museum or museum education system, um, what's working and what's not, and um, if you see any imminent solutions to, uh, I guess, this hopefully changing or increasing access to museums. Um, but just always, obviously, we can always all do better in that department. So I'm just wondering what kind of opportunities for growth um, you see with our current system. Um, selfishly, um, you know, <laughs> I, as I, I've said a few times, because it's true, um, I have an amazing team, um, but we are small and mighty. Um, and so, yeah. you know, when, when I tell people that there's only 21 people in the department relative to the number of people that we serve and the number of programs that we do, and people are always like shocked. So I know that 21 sounds like mm -hmm. a large team. But just given our output, I mean, it's 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 amazing um, that we're able mm -hmm. to do that amount of work. So selfishly, I think there's always room for growth in terms of just the size of, of mm -hmm. um, education departments and also the funding uh, that's afforded mm -hmm. education departments. We're we're very lucky, right? We're in in that we do have um, quite a bit of foundational support and you know or support from foundations and other things. But of course, you know, I'm always um, advocating you know for more support because I know just what that means in terms of the number of people that we can serve and, and the depth of which we can serve them. So selfishly, I'm always, you know, advocating for our teams to grow or just for our teams to get more support um, uh, rather than, you know, we're just, you know, hustling, hustling, hustling all the time. I, I would love to uh, be able to, to, to grow um, education departments. Um, and then, you know, I think... <clears throat> I do think that, you know, one of the things I'm prioritizing um, over the next several years um, is just really kind of having a deeper understanding of who our audience is now in this new normal. Like what, um, because now that we've, you know, opened ourselves, all of us have opened ourselves up to, you know, this virtual way of working, you know, it's, it's really changed the game in terms of our, our audiences are not just local or like international visitors, you know, for a very short amount of time really understanding like who is our audience now like who are we is it literally everyone and anyone is it you know because now we're you know doing virtual public programs and we're doing in-person stuff and we're doing you know 
Um, what does that and what does that audience want? Um, how can we better serve them? Um, but I think a lot of museums are starting to kind of really they're going to have to take a step back at some point and and really kind of take more stock of of who our audiences are. I mean, one eminent solution to that is to survey to death uh, anyone. In the <laughs> Um, you know, attended a program. So that's one way of doing it is to, is to do, a, you know, a good old fashioned survey. And they do work. I'm, I'm not saying they don't, but, um, you know, but uh, I think, it, you know, that the question really about understanding kind of who's connecting with museums um, and why right now is a question I'm trying to, to better understand. Well, and I think community and audience are huge aspects of our lives and how we fit into different things. And especially as we've gone online thinking about how you fit into a, a bigger community is a really I think interesting and tough challenge for you as as an educator and as a leader of of an important museum so museums have long been central tenants of our cultural landscape but how do you think that museums should fit into kind of our cultural ecosystem as a whole as well as um, what purpose should they serve for community members and for community members we could talk maybe first locally for LACMA and then as you're thinking about audiences more globally perhaps that as a, a follow-up question or a second point to that first. So I'll take the second question, I guess, first um, to say, you know, in terms of this larger ecosystem, um, I, I hope, uh, well, let me say this too. I, I think that the, the role that the museums have now play, um, especially like I said, in the last two years have really, um, I don't say changed, but I think it's, it's, it's evolved. Um, I think before the pandemic and hopefully even now and, and beyond that people see the museum space as a, not just a place to be inspired, but also a place to, to, to dialogue with other people, right? The idea that, um, you know, you're coming from a, to learn, you know, to hear a public program on this particular topic or, you know, uh, or this particular idea, or you're hearing from this scholar, or you know, all that kind of like that. There really is a, a space that you can go to to um, hear, you know, different people with different levels of expertise um, talking about a particular topic, right? There's no other, I was like, no other, but there, besides a library, for example, um, other spaces where you can kind of engage in that kind of discourse or engage in that kind of, you know, mental exercise where you're. Like going to a place, you're tuning into something to kind of listen. I guess the obvious is podcast, but in terms of like in, in going in person um, to to kind of hear them kind of these kinds of things. Um, but also, you know, I think that people come to museums as a space of refuge, right, to kind of escape maybe what's happening um, in the craziness around them because they like either the the quiet or they like the opportunity just to kind of let their brain kind of wander. That they like. Um, you know, the opportunities to kind of meander and see all different types of things, especially the space like LACMA where it is an encyclopedic museum where one minute you're seeing a, you know, a show about contemporary photography, another minute you're seeing a show about, you know, ancient Chinese, you know, fabrics or something. You know, the idea that you can literally not leave your home city, but go around the world, right? That you can, um, you know, so I think, um, Hopefully, I think for audience members um, that it's a like I said a place of, of both refuge uh, and a place of like solace, just as much as a as a place for inspiration. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. I think that that really resonates with me. Both of both of those things. I think that's why Parker and I both love museums so much. Is because for us, it does feel like um, a place 
you know, to to just calm down and be among like beautiful works of art and in the quiet, but also can be so social and so educational and um, such a great learning opportunity or just a dialogue creating opportunity. Um, and so I think also just thinking, you know, how museums serve their community, you are also serving your community in so many amazing ways. And um, so let me just say thank you for doing that first. Um, and also, I just am wondering if you have any sort of goals for the next year of how you're going to continue to do the great work that you are doing, if you have anything specific that you're really gunning for, if you could share with us, or if you just have any um, sort of broad, broader vision sort of for how um, education and public programs at LACMA and your other work um, is sort of just going to continue into 2022. I think um, I would say my in terms of immediate goal, yes, yeah, sure. There's always you know more programs and you know reaching more people and you know um, developing you know. Uh, cool, fun things to do at the museum and, you know, all those things, that's, that's all there. Um, but in the immediate, I think, um, trying to figure out how to best support my team. Um, these last, not that we're out of the pandemic at all, um, but these last, you know, two years have been really, you know, stressful um, for a lot of us. And I think especially as I, you know, as you mentioned the art news article and, and I was so proud that I could put that out in that moment because I, I was really, in a lack of word of work, I'm screaming from the rooftops just how important um, education departments are in this moment. But also, but at the same time, you know, we are, are tired and, and we're, we're stressed and we've been asked to fulfill so many different roles. Um, you know, because you couldn't, you know, when the museums were closed and you couldn't come see the work on view, you know, the education departments are really being tasked with putting out content, like, because obviously you're not, you know, putting out, you can't put out virtual exhibitions, well, you mean you could, but that's not what we were doing. And so really just figuring out, like, you know, how to best support my team, um, what does, uh, you know, self-care and, um, you know, both inspiring them and encouraging them, obviously, to do their job. I'm not saying they should not do their jobs, but just say, like, what does that balance look like? Like, you know, letting them know that it's okay to, okay, you know, you should take a, you know, take some time off. You know, this is, these are certainly our goals, but, you know, I, I want to also um, stress that your health and or their health and their well-being is just as important to me. Um, Again, I'm a mother of two small kids. You know, my, my son is three and my daughter is six. So I'm, I'm truly aware of just how stressful um, these past two years have been. So I think, you know, just, um, you know, checking on my team, seeing that they're okay. Again, you know, like, like, that's, that's sure, of course, I have the, you know, the bigger goals of fundraising and, you know, all these different things. But really, I'm, I'm, I'm at this moment right now, I'm thinking about the, um, the health and well-being of my team and and how can I um, despite us being apart now going into a you know our second year um, how do I still provide that you know connection um, and sustain that uh, level of, of passion interest despite us being apart Naima thank you so much for that beyond genuine and super earnest response so we've briefly spoken about what's next for you and I think you've really 
demonstrated and, and shown everyone listening today how incredible of a leader and boss you might not might be that you are. Uh, so thinking about the future now, what advice do you have for young people who might be interested in having a job like yours someday, whether that be in education and engagement, inspiration, or curation? I'd be curious to know what you have to share with, with all of our listeners, including us today. What I often say, and I think is still, well, one is I would say now that, of course, now that I'm in education, I, and not, I don't want to say just a curator, I don't mean to sound like that, but um, I would say I would encourage uh, people entering the workforce to really think beyond um, the more traditional departments, I think, that people typically go into in museums, right? It's normally curatorial. Most people, um, and I'm not saying all, but most people kind of automatically think about like, oh, I want to be a curatorial assistant, you know, I want to get an internship or I want to be a curatorial assistant somewhere and then, you know, kind of working your way up the ladder on the curatorial side. But I really encourage um, young people entering the field to really try and see uh, or to, to work in as many different types of department or many different departments in a museum space as, as possible. So if you see an opening in registration, if you see an opening in conservation, if you see an opening in education, um, to really consider that and, and to really think about um, how there are so many different ways to interact with art and to be inspired by art. And it's not just, a, the, the exhibition is just the byproduct that everybody sees. Um, but all of those different departments have such influence um, over our ability um, to do our jobs. And so one is to like, you know, to consider uh, other areas of the department, uh, other areas of the museum. But two, um, you know, to also think about unconventional art spaces. You know, I, you know, got my start um, at LAX Art, which is a smaller nonprofit um, here in L.A. And... Um, even before that, when I was in college, you know, I interned at the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art and then, like I said, went on to uh, work at LAX Art and, you know, kind of smaller spaces. And I just as much as I love working at a big museum now, I also loved working at smaller spaces because you really do get to see, you know, the, the process of making an exhibition from all different points of view. When there's only five people that work there, <laughs> you are you know, your hands are in so many different conversations and you're seeing uh, so many different. So I know there's a, oftentimes a, an interest or an excitement for applying for the Whitney and MoMA and, you know, these kind of bigger jobs. But really also... Okay, I just got it this morning. So I think we're going to have to keep him in. <laughs> so it's sweet. Real life, it's real life happening where I... Yes, so I'm in education, but I'm also getting milk. For my son here's my husband okay um <laughs> yes real life happening all around me uh but mm -hmm. no, to say that um you know not being afraid to you know consider other types of institutions um smaller mm -hmm. nonprofits, those kinds of things as a mm -hmm. or even galleries you know to think about um as, as a way into the art world that um mm -hmm. all of those different foundations and there's so many different you know avenues um, there's, you know, the philanthropy side, there's a museum side, there's a gallery side, like all of these different, uh, you know, um, uh, worlds uh, contribute to, you know, this kind of larger art ecosystem. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's just, there's, there's so much out there. So mm -hmm. keep your eyes open and, and don't be afraid to take a chance. Yeah, well, that's such good advice. I think, I mean, especially to hearing it from a leader in the space, just um, to be open-minded and look different places for different positions. I think that's 
so helpful and hopefully our listeners will, you know, feel that will make them feel more excited about all the different opportunities that sort of exist. Um, And we do have a signature question here on Declassified and it is, if you could have any job in the art world, what would it be? And I think, um, obviously in your case, you have an amazing, a big, amazing job with a wonderful audience, wonderful reach. You get to work in your hometown. Um, so you could also just say that your job right now is the dream, but if you have, um, like if you could sort of devise your own ideal, um, position or you could steal someone else's job, um, do you have something in mind? Honestly, I feel like I have an amazing job and I'm not just, you know, saying that because it'd be weird, I think, to, <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm so very lucky. I think for all the reasons you pointed out, right? Like it's, I'm in my hotel, hometown. I, I, like I said, grew up here. I grew up going to museums here. I grew up going to, uh, LACMA in particular. Um, uh, my great uncle was a security guard at LACMA. And so, wow. you know, think about, you know, going from, you know, having, an uncle who was a security guard to, you know, someone who's now running, you know, a major department at that same museum is, there's like no, uh, there's no greater, mm. I think, uh, story to that. So honestly, I would not, um, I would not change this job. Like I would not trade it in for, for anywhere, anything in the world. So uh, not to sound too corny or too cliche, but I, I'm, I'm great right where I am. No, not at all. That's so wonderful. That's um, fantastic. And <laughs> I'm yeah, jealous. Such a good story. <laughs> yeah. Such a good story. <laughs> well, and you, said, um, you shared this sorry. earlier about LACMA. It's n- being able to really not leave your home city and travel around the world. And I feel like that really is a powerful yes. thing to be be a part of a community who has that ability to inspire and so many different types of people and bring so many different points of view from the five-year-old to the grandmother um, into one conversation in one space. I think it's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree. We are just so, so grateful that you gave us an hour of your time today. Um, and I'm sure I speak for both of us when I say I just feel so enlightened and energized by all that you've shared with us. And I'm just excited to take your pearls of wisdom um, and move into my life and also just for our listeners to be able to have heard from you. So thank you so much again for being here um, and just to ha- for have- being so generous um, with us and our listeners. Um, thank you. And uh, like speaking, I said, okay, oh, yeah. I was just gonna say thank you for the invitation. No, no, no. You know, it was. Uh, yeah. It's not. You know, it's not often that I get to really reflect about. You know, on just. Um, I think there's really interesting questions around impact and thinking about you know the priorities and kind of allowing me to really talk honestly and candidly about, you know, how the team is feeling and and my own thoughts about supporting them and so yeah, so it was just it was a it's a great interview. So thank you so much. Um, yeah I'm so glad of course we this is you know it's, it's exactly a, this is our this is our dream job right now we're having so much it's fun truly <laughs> truly it's so amazing um okay so just speaking to you listeners thank you so much for tuning in today um we'll be back in one week um as per usual and we appreciate you listening to the two other episodes that come out today as it's launch day so thank you so much for being here again And if you're interested in finding Naima anywhere else, 
outside of this podcast, please check out her website, naimajkeith.com. Please follow our Instagram at declassified.pod. Check out our website, declassified-pod.com, to gain access to a summary of the episode with potentially unfamiliar words explained and links to the galleries, museums we talked about today. And finally, please, please, please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred streaming platform so you can get notifications when new episodes air. Thank you all so much and see you next time.